you can explore an exclusive collection of case law at Decisis Law Reports. Browse a comprehensive collection of nearly 14,000 reports of Irish legal judgments delivered since 2011. Visit decisis.ie to find out more. Hello and you're very welcome to episode 31 of The Fifth Court, a podcast on legal affairs presented by myself, Peter Leonard Barrister. And myself, Mark Tottenham Barrister and editor of Decisis.ie. Mark, let's reflect on last week's interview when we had the pleasure of having retired Supreme Court Justice John McMenamin in studio. He reflected on his wonderful career on the bench as Mm. a barrister and also his love of history and brought us back Mm. to UCD in the early 1970s. Sounds as if there's some interesting research being undertaken there. But wasn't it great that he mm-hmm. came into us? It was Absolutely, really, really good. Yeah, yeah, and we, and we really enjoyed that. And, and he's a man, he might have retired, but he was all about the future, wasn't oh, he? Yeah. He didn't really want to reflect. He wanted mm-hmm. to talk about the future. He still has a lot to contribute. Well, today we are returning to one of the cutting edge issues of our time. And that one is exercising our colleagues in the courts of criminal justice. The campaign to have the cuts to legal fees reversed has very much ramped up in recent times. And we are delighted to be joined in the studio by two of the standard bearers for that campaign. Luigi Ray and Darren Lawler and the campaign I think is gaining momentum Mark Certainly I I mean judging by the talk around the library and the various uh, communications we've all got yeah yeah, I think the freeze on fees from over 10 years ago is Criminal legal aid it needs to be addressed doesn't it Yeah okay but first Mark we're going to discuss three cases which you have identified on the Decisis website Our first case today is Clancy versus Onboard Planola a decision of Mr Justice Humphreys and this concerns an issue which arose in relation to an application for cost protection in environmental proceedings and it's sort of a, a curious question should there be cost cost protection in relation to an application for cost protection. We've discussed it before, particularly with Fred Logue, the fact that under what's called the Aarhus Convention, if you are bringing proceedings concerning environmental protection, you shouldn't have to be penalised on costs. You shouldn't have to suffer financially. And so the result of that is that the courts have started giving cost protection orders, which basically means that they think that this qualifies as an environmental case and therefore there can be cost protection. The problem is that to apply for a cost protection order isn't necessarily the most straightforward issue because obviously the developer or the local authority is going to say, well, this isn't an appropriate case. And they may well file several affidavits. They may well make it quite a big issue. And so the question then is, can you get cost protection for your application for cost protection? And it's a long judgment by Mr. Justice Humphreys. And I didn't feel it particularly squarely came down on one side or the other. But basically, he said he didn't think that cost protection orders should be given for for applications for cost protection orders. But what he very helpfully did was to set out the procedure that should be adopted in order to make the application that might just reduce the danger of of having to expend significant resources. If you want to try and apply to the court to get a cost protection order, you have to fund it yourself. He's basically setting out the procedure that, that tries to avoid the, the undue expense for the Okay, very good. No, very good. Really interesting case there. Okay, the next case we're going to deal with today is Price versus Douglas, a decision of Mr. Justice Simons in the High Court. And this concerns whether service can be deemed good or not, obviously the service yeah. of documents, etc. In this case, the plaintiff was trying to serve proceedings on the administrator of an estate. When they couldn't make personal service, they served the proceedings on the solicitor who'd applied for the grant of administration. So, was 
was that service deemed good? Well, in this particular case, it was deemed good. And the, the interesting thing here is that the very important point that was made was that simply because the solicitor has received service of proceedings and because it's being deemed good doesn't mean that the solicitor has to come on record in the case. The point is that when you are trying to serve proceedings, you need to bring them to the attention of the proposed defendant. And what happens a lot of the time is defendants try to avoid service. They try and make it difficult to be become defendants. And so in this case, they not unreasonably said, well, look, this solicitor has filed an application for administration. Surely they are in touch with this particular administrator. They can bring the proceedings to their attention. Mr. Justice Simons agreed with that. He said, when you've got a solicitor who clearly is in regular communication or has has means of bringing proceedings to their attention, the solicitor is an officer of the court. They can't just wash their hands of it and say, oh, I haven't been given authority to accept service. But it doesn't mean the solicitor has to come on record in the case. Okay, really good. Okay. So finally today, we're going to look at a case concerning anonymization in the context of an employment dispute. This is the case of RM versus SHC, a decision of Ms. Justice Roberts in the High Court. And this concerned an action brought by an employee against an employer making allegations concerning the employer's behaviour. The employer did not want certain mental health issues to be aired in court and sought, therefore, that the case was anonymized and the parties Basically, were anonymized. An, yeah, an anonymization order. So this this is an issue that was brought in by the Section 27 of the Civil Law Miscellaneous Provisions Act of 2008 that although justice is generally administered in public, there are obviously certain issues that the, 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 the legislature feels should feel shouldn't be made public. Obviously issues to do with family breakdown, issues to do with children are generally anonymized. But what they've allowed under that legislation is that you can anonymize issues in relation to mental health. Now, normally it would be the plaintiff who is making the a case for the anonymization. But this is a case where the employee alleged that the employer had behaved in a particular way. The employer basically brought these applications to the court and said, in order to deal with these issues, I'm going to have to bring in or or issues in relation to my mental health are likely to be to be aired in open court. I don't want these to be made public. And so the application was for the order. And as Justice Roberts said, in a case like this, it is appropriate to anonymise. Yes, very important decision. Yeah, and I think it's just worth mentioning that sometimes, obviously, people do bring proceedings in a bullying kind of way. And they kind of go, well, they'll settle this because they won't want yes. this to come into open court. And this that that's why it's particularly important for but a I case would have like thought, this. To... I'm surprised that this made it as far as the High Court in mm. relation to this issue, because generally you can argue the toss or mm. the WRC or the Labour Court to say, you know, these proceedings should be anonymised. You know, but anyway, I'm not sure if this. This I think this may be a a high court just went straight. Issue. Okay, yeah, so yeah, it might be yeah, an employment injunction. Yeah, okay, yeah. very good. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you for that, Mark. We're going to be back shortly with Luigi Ray and Darren Lawler. Silence in the fifth court. Okay, it is my great pleasure to welcome to the studio two eminent criminal barrister colleagues, Luigi Ray, who will be known to everybody, and Darren Lawler, who's a more recent member of the Law Library, but very active in criminal matters. And gentlemen, both of you have come in to talk to us about the campaign that is being run currently to reverse the cuts, to get criminal legal aid back on a satisfactory footing. Darren, you've been very much to the fore in relation to that. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to speak about it. Yeah, the barristers in district court level, such as myself and the under the criminal legal aid scheme, are paid very low pay for the work that they do. It's twenty-five euro twenty cent for a remand, fifty euro forty cent for a plea mitigation, and sixty-seven euro for a full trial hearing. Okay. So I understand 
I came to the bar 2015, that those fees are based on cuts from long ago. Yes. Uh, so we're on... The economic downturn. But I mean, there was never a lot of money for people working in the district court. So we'll get back to that in a minute. Yeah. I also want to, as I said, welcome Luigi Ray to the studio. Luigi, anybody who has picked up a newspaper over the last 30 years and reads the, the court reports will be very familiar with your name. You've always been a defender. Never a prosecutor, am I right? That is true. And uh, the name you say is quite correct what you say, because I do remember being introduced by Patrick Marinan to a client that he hadn't time to represent. And the client, I'm being told, here's your barrister, Luigi Ray. And he looked at me and said, you're Luigi Ray. <laughs> so <laughs> a, na- a name is, doesn't always tell a tale, but there you are. How, yes, lo- how long um, have you been in the, in the law library? Will you tell us? 1977 how long? I went in and I devilled with the man called Frank Aylmer, who mainly did prosecution work, but also did civil work on the uh, Eastern Circuit. And I learned my trade, most of it in uh, Trim, Thai, Nace. And the presiding judge down there in those days was Judge Frank Rowe, who was a very uh, popular and topical judge. And uh, Did he ever bring you to a race meeting? He never brought me to a race meeting. Okay, well, there Nobody you go. Maybe you ever. weren't in the inner circle. Uh, I can't believe that, Luigi, but maybe you weren't. Uh, Harold's Cross races were good enough for me, and the racing was quite fast in Harold's Cross. Horse racing was too slow for my legs. Okay. Too many gaps. So why criminal law, Luigi? I started doing family law, along with John McMenamin, the previous guest of yours, and Frank Clark, doing flak work voluntarily in our first, I suppose, three to four years. Started doing family law, and family law then was held in all district courts all over the place. And one court in particular was in Rathfarnham, where Judge Keenan Johnson was to judge. And in the morning time, criminal work was done, and family law would be taken in the afternoons. And what happened was the local solicitor there was Mr. John Gaffney. And sometimes he would be called away to the forecourts, uh, the, the Bridewell. And he would occasionally got to know me to see and talk to. And uh, said, we should adjourn the case for you. I have to get away. And uh, just that's how it worked out. He just slowly but surely worked into it. And I got so the a ball, taste for the it. the ball fell into your hands, really, more uh, than you saying, I want yes. to be a criminal yeah, I enjoyed doing family law, particularly in the district court, where you, you could really help people very quickly if you were into that sort of attitude. But as it went into the circuit court and the higher courts, it was more involved and involved a lot of property dealing and things like that. And I sort of didn't really like that side to it because sometimes pressures were on to, unfortunately, drag cases out in the hope that fees would be generated by selling a house or something like that. And I didn't like it. I just preferred criminal work was easier to do. Not easier to do, but it was easier to to live with, if I could put it that way, because it was state-funded. You didn't have all these arguments over fees and things. Now, occasionally you would have clients who, would, who were able to pay for their defence, but they were they existed at the time, but you couldn't touch money nowadays from, from clients because it, it would be a criminal offence to handle uh, proceeds of crime. Okay. And particularly drug dealers, they have money and you can't touch it. So it's legal aid or nothing, really. It's, and that's going to be our topic, Darren, and we're going yes, to come back to you big time. For 99% of people in the state, it's legal aid or nothing because legal fees are high, even at legal aid rates. Most people couldn't afford them. Yes, OK. Well, we're going to get into what the campaign is all about. And yeah. We really are, lads. Yeah. But before we get to that, I do want to ask you about being a defender rather than a prosecutor. Why? Well, because I'm sure you had opportunities to become a prosecutor. Many, many is the occasion. There are two panels. You can join either panel or neither panel. Some people never touch a criminal case in their lives, and I often wonder why. I decided I had enough work to do on one panel. I went on the defence panel. I found I had to grow for it. I think I had a bit of an ability, and I think that was fortunately for me recognised. And I got on well with defence solicitors, but oddly enough, I got on well with prosecuting guards within limits. And the clients always knew 
if I was speaking to a guard with prosecution, them, I was doing to their advantage. Yes. And I just found out I had a knack or a graph for it and I developed it. And it grew fairly quickly. And uh, as I said, I was very fortunate. Local solicitors helped me out and got me going. And I spent, I think, five years, no, seven years in the district court. It was a long time, but every day it was growing and growing. And eventually I broke out of the district court into the circuit court. And I there met again, Mr. Gaffney kept me going all those years later. I met up with famous solicitors called Harry Lyons was one, Dermot Morris was another, the Hannah Hose. I don't want to be naming. Yes, of If course. you name some, you have to name all, but yeah. eventually nearly everybody on the panel. And, and can we get into work. the philosophical discussion? Because yeah. we have a lot of non-legal people who are listeners to this show, which is wonderful. And we love those listeners. Yeah. You know, working as a defender for criminals, for the bad guys. I can ask okay. the question before you do. Okay, go. So will you explain how that? How do you defend people that you know are guilty? Yes. And I say to that. Do you know? I do know. Because I think on the other side of the of the house is a barrister who may well be prosecuting someone they feel is not guilty. And it's not your choice or call to say whether the man is guilty or not. That's a matter for the jury or the judge. Your job is to put their side of the story and someone else will do it on the other side of the house. And you do it brilliantly. And a man who can tell us about how brilliantly you do it is Darren Lawler, who is here, who devilled with Luigi. So what was that like? Great. I met Luigi in a taxi, I think it was around 2009, I was a taxi driver and my wife, well she was my wife at the time, she forced me back into school, I left school at 14, went back to school at 36 and Luigi got into a taxi one day and I'm sitting outside the courts and he gets in and I have a law book in my hand and he's like, are you in trouble there? I'm still doing this evidence thing, you know, and he goes, oh yeah. And he said, if you continue with the legal studies and become a barrister, I'll take you on as a devil. Now, as I said before in a recent interview, I hadn't got a clue what a devil was, but I knew a god when I seen one, like, you know, and I went <laughs> okay. into college and I said it to Barry Halton. I, like I like it, Darren. Anyway, I, I, yeah. I said it to Barry Halton, and I met this guy, Luigi Ray, he was asking for it. He goes, oh, Luigi Ray. And it built from there. So okay. I'd pick Luigi Ray up from the courts and other people. I'd work nighttime. I'd be studying in the car at nighttime, recording my notes into my phone, playing them back over the Bluetooth system trying to get to grasp the study again. So I left school at 14, didn't know how to study. And Luigi was a great guide to point me in the right direction and to give me the support I needed. So 2015, he was my master yes. for 15 to 16. And, and you've stayed with criminal law, Darren. <clears throat> so obviously that appeals with criminal to you. Law. Yeah, it just appeals to me. I, I like helping people. It's just something I have a grow for. It, it's all I know from 2015. And all the, the skills I developed and all the, the nurturing, let's say, came from Luigi and people like Luigi, like Peter Levert and other colleagues, you know, who have who have supported me. So yeah, it's something I really into. Well, well, well I actually dabbled in, in criminal law many years ago, and once about the time we were all gathered in the four courts. And but now all the criminal practitioners are up in the Phoenix Park in the courts of criminal justice, <clears throat> and it's it's very much a, a kind of a self-contained unit up there. Darren, is that your experience? Yeah, what is it? I mean, it was described before by one of my colleagues, William, William Moran, and I'm not on a bad way by saying this. He said it was kind of like the you know. You had a, I think it was referred to as one of the newspapers as the four gold mines. And then we have us up in the coal mine, like, you know. And so they're just two completely different worlds. I've done some things down the forecourts, not many things. And really what it is, is that we have the, the criminal end of things and we'll say the, you know, the civil or commercial end of things. So we're pretty much away from the rest of the world, if I can put it that way, <coughs> yes. up in the CCJ. And I think we're all the lesser for it. It would have been better if we were all together, but it is a wonderful building up there and mm. I mean, great work has been done up there. Okay, let's talk about your campaign. Okay, yeah. it's really started to gather momentum. Obviously, people have been 
struggling with fees in the district court. We go back to you, you, at the start, Darren. You talked about maybe the rates that somebody would get for representing somebody in the district court. Will you take us through that a bit more? Yeah, the simple example I give to anybody who's a, not, a non-legal person is that we can all get ourselves into difficulty tonight and we've heard the special citizens of the district court or maybe somebody be brought before the district court in the morning. If I go in to meet that client in the morning, if I'm lucky enough to get the call, I'll have to meet the client, meet the guard, maybe make a bail application, maybe make a contested bail application, seek legal aid and the fee for that will be €25.20. Euro so I could be waiting all day for that to be called. And this concerns human liberty. It concerns human liberty. So somebody's freedom essentially is in your hands. Is on the line. It's and on you, the have line. To, you have to make representations. I mean, it doesn't really get more serious than that, does it? Well, I don't think so. I, I just say to people, like, if you're stuck in the lift for five or ten minutes, you'd be panicked, you know, that type <laughs> of way. And if you're in a cell for, you know, waiting for your case to be called, I can only imagine what's going through people's mind, whether they're guilty or innocent. You know, we're not at that stage yet. But we need to get somebody, hopefully, maybe back home, you know, with a bail application. We need to get them the right resources so they don't have to pay for the, the representation themselves, which they're not going to afford, most of them. And um, and then on top of that, we need to find out exactly what the state say they've done. So there's a process. It's an important process. And I'm happy to be part of the process. We're at that level, I think, that the system is creaking. But Luigi, going back before even the cuts came in as a result of the downturn in what, post-2007, 2008, there was never great money in the district court for practitioners who represented clients, was there? Well, if you backdated money in allowing for inflation and whatever way you do that, you could survive on the fees. You could, it's the so-called half fee. It was myself, Patrick Marinan and Fergal Foley eventually negotiated with all the different solicitors that the barrister would get half of whatever the fee was for that day. That seems to have developed or broken down since my time. And I'm shocked to hear, I was shocked to hear that it had gone back to 25 euros and 20 cents. My understanding is that when the fees were set at whatever it is, uh, twice twice what you're talking about, 53 euro for the solicitor, yeah. that you would very often find that there'd be one or two solicitors in court representing a lot of people, very often effectively representing them on their feet, very small amounts of evidence they were dealing with. And then increasingly over time, you found that as, more, as there were more district courts, one, a solicitor couldn't be in every court. So they'd be sending either a barrister attended by a legal executive or there'd be a barrister on, uh, increasingly on their own now. Yeah. And then they'd be getting half of the fee. And the barrister relies on the solicitor to pay that half of the fee. But also, as time has gone on, the amount of material you need to read for an individual case has increased. <clears throat> and in my experience, particularly with, you, you know, you suddenly find that there's loads of emails or texts or that kind of thing that very often have gone back and forwards between the various <laughs> parties. So that instead of being paid... 25 euro just to represent somebody effectively on your feet, having read through a few uh, a, a few documents. You've got a much larger quantity of documentation. You've got disclosure, and you're still ending up getting half what the solicitor was originally supposed to be paid. Is is that is that a, a correct analysis? Well, unfortunately, even in my time at the bar, when you were in the district court, you depended on solicitors to be honourable in their dealings with you, and the vast majority of them did pay the fees that you'd earned. They mightn't have paid them that week, but they never ran up bills such as I'm hearing about nowadays where one of my former devils had something like 7,000 euros due to her. She's not able to withstand that sort mm. of a loss sure. in the sure knowledge that the solicitor has probably been paid the fees. Mm. Now, I'm told by solicitors there are delays in the department paying them their fees, but 
barristers are in a totally weaker position than the solicitor. Well, they certainly aren't delays that's uh, at indictable level, are they? I mean, they're, no, they're good they're, at paying the fees, so it's unlikely they're, they're, they're delaying at the At indictable the level, they're paying very quickly. They're mm. paying very quickly within two weeks, and that was a huge improvement mm. on when I started. Yeah. Because when I started, the indictable fee was paid to the solicitor. Yeah. And you were waiting for them then to write a cheque. But of course, they would inevitably say, oh no, we haven't been paid yet, we haven't been paid yet. So a pink sheet system was brought in, which got rid of all that, meant the relationships between the solicitors and the barristers at the higher court level were much better because you signed your sheet, you were paid by the Department and, of and Justice. And just for anybody who's not familiar, the pink sheet is the sheet that the barrister signs in court on the day of the trial and that goes into the department and you get paid through the Legal Aid Board. Exactly. And the colleague of mine, Tony Salmon, he won't mind me telling you, and his great phrase is, no pinky, no speaky. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there is a lot of Whatever work. Whatever did he mean? I don't anyway. know, but there's a lot of work mm. goes unpaid. However, that's, not, that's mm. another issue. Sure. Mm. But the reason I'm here today is because the fees and all the fees were cut in the years after 2008. The Troika came to Ireland and one of the things they came to do was to reduce legal fees. The legal fees that were reduced were effectively state fees and in particular criminal legal aid fees on both sides. And people forget this. And I don't forget one thing, even though I do defence work. I see victims of crime in court every day of the week. Some victims, some complainants are victims. Some tell lies and they're not. And that's why the job is so difficult sometimes. But... Victims are entitled to have proper representation. And as you go up the scale, the cases are more serious, the sentences are more serious. But barristers prosecuting cases are in a worse position, believe it or not, than people defending, because they are very limited in what they can do. And they are at the mercy of the TPP, not personally at our mercy, but professionally at our mercy. And there are fees which, for whatever reasons, they are not claiming, whether it's out of fear of not getting more work, and these are matters that are going to have to be addressed. I'm talking about advice and proofs. I'm talking about reading disclosure materials. This has been swept up under the carpet for years. It has got to be addressed. Okay, okay. And and just just to, to go into maybe the, the superior courts, obviously the central criminal court and the circuit criminal court, mm. fees there were also affected by the cuts. Luigi, you've, you've alluded to that. Um, yeah. oh, fees, and and yeah. how has that impacted or has it impacted? Well, I'm told in recent weeks... Chickens have the come chickens home have come home to roost and it is now reaching a stage where the DPP cannot get senior counsel to act in criminal cases, I'm assuming because the fees relative to other work are so low. Hmm. I'm, on the way here today, we passed by a dental studio and we saw in the window that one series of procedures for putting in um, Visiline and realigning your teeth was something like €5,000. Now, I think a murder brief is about 7,000 euros, which sounds a fortune, but compared to a dental operation or procedure, it's not that much more. And senior counsels are, are worth more than that. Yes. I'm sorry, that, we just have to face facts. And People and, can go to jail for life. And I think to be fair, I mean, when we compare this with other types of work, you know, you're, you know these days, the, the, I mean, we've discussed in other programmes the way mm. that the... the commercial firms are employing almost all of the trainee solicitors and yeah. what sound like yeah. very high salaries to me. Similarly, in the, in the civil work is now, so the, the commercial firms are paying a large amount, particularly for senior counsel. And so what you're saying effectively is that senior counsel are deciding, right, I can't afford to stay in the criminal side of things. Yeah. I'll go over and work in the in the commercial court. Is well, that you, you mentioned earlier on that Darren, yeah. too, his misfortune has mm -hmm. had to work in the CCJ. He's totally cut off from civil work. Mm -hmm. 
In my early years, I had civil work. It was half and half. And it was a very, very good life. You could mix the two, same thing down in Nice, and you can still do that on circuit. But increasingly, the work is getting more and more demanding. If you're doing crime now, it takes up too much time and you cannot, it's at the, at the expense of your civil work. Hmm. I'm happy enough to stay with what I'm used to doing. I'm comfortable in it. But it is so wrong that people are asked to survive on 2002 wages in effect, paying 2000 it'll soon be 2024 prices. It yes. just can't be done. What about, Luigi, every year the Irish Times will produce that article, or maybe it's every six months, I'm mm. not sure, and we'll see the top criminal legal aid earners. And there'll be a list of people, and some of them are earning eye-watering sums of money. Is that reflective of the fact that things aren't spread around enough? No, it's reflective of the fact that people at that level are doing the most technically difficult cases you can imagine. And sometimes they are given uh, enhanced fees. Because the cases are just, even the DPP agrees, so un, so technical. No barrister could do it for the, the 5,000 or 7,000 euro rate. Okay. That sounds a lot of money. It is, but relative to people at the top of the professions, in other professions, they're very poor wages. Very okay. poor. Darren, let's get back to the, the campaign at the moment. Is there solidarity amongst all your colleagues up there in the Phoenix Park? Uh, I'd say the solidarity. People want the same thing, but they want different ways of going about it. You know, some people want to take the name off the legal aid panel at Luigi's level. Uh, some people just want to leave crime altogether. And some of my other colleagues just want to go and strike. You know, personally yes. for me, if you're asking me, I, I do some stuff in the circuit court. I'm not there all the time. But if I was to come off the legal aid panel, it wouldn't affect the system. They'd probably love to see me go. Um, because in reality, the district court, the fees are paid to uh, solicitors. But in reality, people now want something to be done. It's affecting students coming in. They don't want to come in to do criminal work. I say to people, if you want to speak, learn how to speak in your feet, get the best training, work with the best colleagues, come to the CCJ. That's all I know. But what but about, if you want to what pay about your that five-letter word that you said there, which is kind strike. of anathema, yeah, anathema to the legal profession, strike. No representation. We're not going to represent until we get this sorted. Well, we had a celebration of failure on the 2nd of May. Last year, we had two uh, short protests where we were kind of getting the appetite for something to be done. People felt that, oh, we're barristers. We can't do anything. Of course you can. You know, The suit I wear or the tabs I wear or the overalls of the criminal legal world. Uh, it's the same with mechanic wearing overalls, cleaning a car or fixing a car or a nurse working in the hospital. We're professionals. We're no different to anybody else. And I'm being penalised for something I didn't do, which was the banking crisis. But leaving all that to one side, even if there was no crisis, that you must have a, a proper day's pay for a proper day's work. The second, uh, the most important protest this year now is coming up on the 14th of July, which is the celebration of failure too. And we're going to have more colleagues involved, more people okay. behind just to, to put things right. But there's a big difference between protests like that, obviously, and yep. making noise and maybe getting a little bit of attention and publicity for your cause. And a strike, I mean, a strike says we are not going to work. We are not going to represent people that need to be represented. We're not going to prosecute. Yeah. I mean, you know, the system doesn't work. So like, so have you thought that out as to how far you're willing to go? We have thought about it. And um, if a strike was to happen now, I'd be on strike now. Hmm. But not everybody thinks like me. And we have to bring people with us. We have brought people with us. You know, How do you feel about that, Luigi? Well, people nowadays are trapped all their bills are paid by direct debit. Their mortgages, their school fees, their kids' school fees, their everything. It's almost all done by direct debit now. And people cannot afford to pay their bill. As I said, the, the, the criminal legal aid system did not cause the banking crisis. 
there may have been extraordinary fees being paid on the civil side. They were not on the criminal legal aid side. And what I'm hearing nowadays is that on the commercial end, fees have gone through the roof again, and they must at this stage be impacting on inflation in the country. But for some reason, the fees paid to criminal lawyers are being singled out to be frozen in time at 2000. But are you willing to participate in an all-out strike? Uh, ultimately, yes. And, and, and to, to be honest with you, the sooner the better. Because this needs to come to a head. It needs to, um, yeah. immediately. Immediately. And I'll tell you why. There is talk of people waiting till October for a strike. By October, people will have been out of work for two months. They won't have a penny in their pockets. They'll be ravenous for money to pay their bills with. You have some chance in July or even late June of having cash flow that will help you to get over uh, th- 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 that period in time when you go on strike. Yeah, can but I wait just, until October seems to me to be ridiculous. Okay. Can I just, I, I realise I'm probably putting your, your own case here, but one of the things that strikes me is, you, you know, you were saying earlier that you, you had no difficulty acting for people who you thought or, or, or even knew were guilty. But one of the things that struck, struck me is, uh, and I, I think I've made this point before, is that w- Ireland does not have a history of terrible miscarriages of justice. That's not to say that mis- mistakes haven't been made. But we haven't had our Birmingham Sixes or our Guildford Fours or, or those kind of cases. And, you know, when, when you look at things like the, 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 um, the, the post office prosecutions in the UK at the moment, I think one of the things that has worked to our favour has been that we have had a reasonably well-resourced uh, legal aid system. And you certainly don't have the situation that they have in the States where people can be on death row and effectively represented by newly qualified lawyers. And I mean, is that it? Would you agree that that's one of the things that works about our legal system is well, that we have traditionally had a good legal aid system, and if we lose that, then you know the miscarriages will follow. But it, it did work, but it's not working anymore. It mm. cannot work anymore because the volume of work has increased exponentially because of a thing called technology. Yeah. Any any event now is recorded on God knows how many cameras. Yeah. Which and they tell a tale. Every mm. camera tells a different tale. Something can happen before an event, which explains what happened during and, an event, and the point being which gives that, rise to a trial. And the point being that you, as or or somebody, has to sit down and look through all those CCTV, mm. read through all the emails, read through all the texts, read through all the WhatsApp messages, and it takes time. And you certainly can't do it in the district court for your twenty-five euro, no. and no senior counsel no. is going to do it well, for the kind of fees that they're having to live live with. Well, I let Darren deal with it mm. because even even in the district court, yeah. which is supposed to be a court of summary jurisdiction, mm. the issue has arisen. Yes. I was given recently, um, not too long ago, I think it was on a USB stick, I think there were 24 digital files and 22 of those digital files contained CCTV footage. One of those 22 files contained 30 hours of CCTV footage. So that's one day. Now, I always get that 25, 20 and divide up just into that alone. I mean, you're, you're at a loss. I mean, it sounds absolutely bonkers, lads. I suppose I suppose what I'm hearing here is that this now is getting up ahead of steam. I mean, the campaign has been prominent for a while. But we are getting to the stage, are you saying, that, you know, nuclear, the nuclear option, the button is going to be pressed, strike and basically well, a kind of a full-on confrontation the, with the Department of Justice. Is that what we're talking about we here? Whether we go on strike or not, events are overtaking us. And people looking at television at night see the CCJ reporting going on and they see these people walking around these blue boxes and they will say, what's in those blue boxes? What's in those blue boxes are tens of thousands of pages of documents. And... It is not humanly possible to read them for nothing. Yeah. But that is what we're being asked to do. And I invite anybody in the Department of Justice to reveal what has been paid for reading that material. And you will see 
something very, very disturbing. If there are acquittals or if there are convictions, you may well say no one is complaining about it. But if you were convicted or if you were the relation of someone who was a victim of crime where there had been an acquittal, you would want to think, well, I wonder if the person read all those materials. And if they did read them, were they paid to read them? And if they weren't paid to read them, what quality of work was given? Well, absolutely. You're absolutely right. Because of our history and our traditions, they are and were read. But that cannot continue. Yes. Okay. Use your common sense. Well, gentlemen, you're making a very strong case, I have to say. Um, and let's 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 change the tone of this uh, discussion for a moment. We're going to ask you our little novelty question at the end. Mark, mm-hmm. do you want to take the two gentlemen through? Certainly. Uh, uh, maybe we'll start with Luigi. Luigi, have you a book or a film or any other work of art you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Well, all the operas of Vincenzo Bellini, including <laughs> especially Norma with that famous aria. At uh, Casta Diva that everybody knows from various films. Murdoch's Dictionary of Irish Law, so people will know what lawyers are talking about. Certainly. And all the paintings of Cecil Lavery. I want them all. <laughs> oh, very good. And Darren, anything movie, any any book, legal book that you'd like to recommend to our listeners out there? Well, the, the, I'd say movies, definitely Philadelphia. Yes. And the reason why it's a very important quote. I love things from songs and from a music background and the part where Tom Hanks is in the hospital and he says every problem has a solution and going back to original topic that every this problem that we have at Legal Aid has a solution and that solution is going to come quick which is strike I think in relation to uh, paintings I don't know that much paintings apart from the things I see on walls when I go around Dublin uh, the graffiti I mean Luigi's good enough to bring myself my family to operas we learned the operas from him although from a musical background but in relation uh, to books, I'm a slow learner. I'm somebody who left school at 14, so I couldn't recommend a book, you know, but I can guarantee you this, any books of evidence I get are read thoroughly, regardless of <laughs> what the price <laughs> Very is. Good. You know? Very good. Okay, well, lads, I have to say this has been an illuminating uh, interview. Can I finish? Um, yes, please, Luigi, please. Thing. We are here today because a unit in a department has decided that the fees paid to criminal barristers prosecuting and defending Say that again, prosecuting and defending should not be restored to what they were at in 2011. We are, both sides are back at 2002 rates of of pay. The Department of Public Expenditure, it has another couple of words thrown in there, but it's really, it's a dope unit has decided we're not getting our money back. Why are they not coming out to explain why? Publicly, Michael McDool and the Senate has called on them to do so. They refused to do so. And the minister who himself some years ago described those cuts, the austerity cuts, as a mistake and wrong, stands over his unit in his dope department. Only a dope could behave the way they're going. Okay, (laughs) that is, uh, we will leave it on that note. Uh, I I love the passion, lads. And huge thank you to Darren Lawler, barrister, and to Louis Jouet, barrister, for coming in and being guests on the Fifth Court today. Thank you. Thanks very much. The Fifth Court will adjourn until next week. So that's all from this edition of The Fifth Court. We hope you have enjoyed it. Can we say a huge thank you to our guests, criminal defence barristers Luigi Ray and Darren Lawler, for coming into us today and talking about the campaign to reverse cuts to criminal legal aid. It's ramping up, Mark. It certainly is. 
you know, man the barricades. Mm. They mean business, don't they? Yeah, they're certainly talking they really about do. strikes. And yeah. I, think, I think they have a very just cause. Maybe I shouldn't be saying that, but I think they have a very just cause. Can I also say a huge thank you to our producer, Conal O'Moroin, and to the Dublin South Podcast Studios for their wonderful work in recording this show. And as always, if you have any comments or any topics you would like us to discuss, please get in touch on our website. We've recently had a number of suggestions from people and we were delighted with those, Mark, weren't we? Yes, absolutely. So thank you to all our loyal listeners for those. So from me, Peter Leonard. Myself, Mark Tottenham. Thank you for listening and we'll see you soon in the Fifth Court. Never miss a vital Irish legal judgment. Check out Decisis Law Reports, where you'll find a fully indexed collection of all Irish judgments delivered since 2011. Visit decisis.ie to find out more.